Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Now I have the husky, sick voice, Aaron. <laughs> Welcome back oh to the God. Week in Review. <laughs> this is Jack Inslee, the executive producer at Heritage Radio Network, joined by the one and only Aaron Fairbanks, executive director of Heritage Radio Network. I feel like that voice gave me the same feeling as like accidentally like opening the bathroom door on my dad. Oh God. I just got like scared and like embarrassed at the same time. Oh my goodness. I'm very sorry. <laughs> I blame you. Um, well, for first-time listeners, welcome. This is the Week in Review, where Aaron and I try to dis- to, to distill uh, a week's worth of programming into one digestible program for you. We have over 35 weekly shows of incredible food content, and there is uh, a lot to listen to at Heritage Radio Network. So this is your one stop to get a little taste of what's going on here uh, in the studio and beyond. Uh, how's your week been, Aaron? Oh, man. It's been great. Thank you for asking. I feel Mm. like, you know, it was officially spring. There was a full moon. So, like, there was a little bit of the craziness out and about, um, but also just, like, lots of fun energy and, uh, yeah. The crazies. I feel you. I definitely, yeah. I was walking home a little bit later than usual last night, and it was, you know, there was a lot of crackheads on my block last night. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. Well, when it gets warm out, you know. (laughs) Live and let live. Dot, dot, dot. Um, so what we like to do on this program is start off with our last great bite. And Erin, I'm very excited to hear what yours is this week. Oh, man. Well, we were out, uh, Allison Hamlin, HRN's deputy, deputy director, and I were over at Wassail last night, which is the amazing uh, cider bar Ooh. and restaurant over on Orchard Street. They are celebrating uh, their one-year anniversary, one of my Favorite spots in the city, super progressive, really pushing the envelope around beverage and the intersection of dining and agriculture. And so fun. They were throwing cider last night. They had a full barrel of um, what's called cidra. It's like a Spanish style cider. And basically the cider is held under pressure of gravity in the barrel and you open the spout and it shoots, literally shoots out like three feet into your glass. So you have to kind of be on point to, to catch the cider. And the, the way you drink cidra is like very quickly because the aeration that happens as it shoots from whatever vessel it's in. Um, creates a little bit of natural kind of shaking up and effervescence and you kind of shoot it almost like a shot and it was so delicious and so fun and so indicative of just the cool stuff you get to do over at Wassail. If you haven't had the chance, definitely check it out. And if you're not, you know, local to the New York area, um, try some Cedra. It's like a, it's a very kind of a convivial drink, but beware if you're getting it by the bottle, you do have to drink the entire bottle in one sitting. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know what it is to not drink an entire bottle in a sitting. So <laughs> well, sounds fine to me. <laughs> just just to be forewarned. Right, right. Sounds delicious. Um, I my my last great bite was all the way in Houston. Um, 
as I mentioned on the last week in review, I think I ran right to the airport afterwards. Uh, I played an incredible show with my girlfriend Odetta Hartman for South by Southwest in Austin. We did fly into Houston because it was way cheaper, and I like kind of exploring new cities in in short amounts of time. So after South by, we had about oh, maybe a day in Houston. And our flight got canceled, just straight up canceled. So we had another night in Houston. So, of course, that meant I got to eat my way around the city uh, a bit more and found myself at an incredible Thai restaurant in Houston called Foreign Correspondence. It's run by a guy named PJ Stoops, who's kind of making the waves right now. He uh, had cooked for a while in Thailand and then started mongering fish and launched the bycatch movement in Texas. So he's been getting a lot of props around town lately and uh, it's a relatively new restaurant, Foreign Correspondence, maybe a few months it's been around. And we had such a good meal there. I'm going to blast through what we ate. We had, um, well, I had this because Odetta is vegetarian, but there's (laughs) garlic oil rice steamed with blood, kind of comes wrapped in a banana leaf. Then a mushroom lop, uh, which was really surprisingly good. These oyster mushrooms, um, usually a lop is like a like a be- spiced beef or duck or chicken salad, sort of salad thing, but the mushrooms were in place of that. Then we had a makrut lime curry, some Texas, uh, what, what is it, Al- Al- Almaco jack, like a barrel fish, and uh, cow soy, some chicken legs simmered in curried coconut milk. It was up there, Aaron, with like... With Pak Pak for me. Yeah. And I eat, I, I try to eat a lot of Thai. I would say this, this makes my top three Thai meals uh, in the country. The others being Pak Pak and Night Market in LA. But it was like, it was that good. It was really, really, really incredible. So a big shout out to that team. We had an incredible service. They had a new speakeasy in the back that opened the day before. So we got to enjoy some cocktails from a really freshly opened bar. I feel like this is just like an uh, like undulating series of like humble brags, and I'm being a, I'm having a little bit of Jack Inslee jealousy over here. I also <laughs> feel like I always forget that like Texas has um, great fish, and if you think about like the latitude of Texas, it really shares a latitude with some great culinary spots uh, around the globe, and and there's a lot more than beef and barbecue to be had. That's for damn sure. Um, So anyway, if you happen to find yourself in Houston, you got to check this spot out. Um, We were, you know, it was a a serendipitous flight cancellation, I guess you'll say. Jack actually texted me. (laughs) He's like, I'm going to make lemonade out of lemons and yeah. i'm like thanks dad <laughs> <laughs> second jack dad reference of yeah, the I'm, podcast count is two i'm dad today count is two we'll see where we get by the end of this half hour stay tuned oh my goodness i'll see what i can do all right well let's move to the studio and hear some clips Hey, so at this part of the program, we like to run you through some of the top clips of the week from the studio. Uh, as I mentioned, we do tons and tons of programming out of here. And Aaron, I want to kick it off with a clip from a show that you co-hosted on the front burner. Maybe you can orient people as to um, what this episode was all about before we hear the clip. Sure. Well, uh, Andrew Friedman and Jimmy Bradley, who co-host the front burner every week, have been doing an amazing job. They celebrated their 10th episode yesterday. And the focus of their show is really looking at deep dives into timely 
topics that are impacting the restaurant industry. And, you know, when we sat down and they were originally pitching the show, one of my primary concerns was, um, you know, we're really looking to expand the type of voices and issues that we're bringing to the network and, and building in more kind of diversity as a matter of course. And I had, I was like, man, you're kind of like two middle-aged white guys and I like you and you're super smart, but, um, how are we going to make sure that we are not just talking to other white male chefs, which is a real issue in the media, especially, um, around chefs and beverage professionals. And so this, uh, episode was kind of one of the outcomes of that conversation. We decided to take a look at some of the the more pressing issues that have been coming up in the news around uh, ladies in the kitchen. So we talked about the recent um, James Beard award nominations and kind of the gender discrepancies uh, across the different regions of the country. We also talked about maternity leave and a little bit about sexual harassment in the kitchen. Uh, We had a great lineup of amazing female chefs and leaders, people from, um, you know, with cooking experiences in a lot of different styles from all over the world. It's definitely worth a full listen and and really just the tip of the iceberg. I I hope that they'll have me back uh, because I would love to continue some of these conversations. We just um, we had a great time and I think it it um, you're going to hear. I mean, I guess I'm like, just listen, listen. So this is a clip of Emma Bankston. I hope I'm doing that name justice. The executive chef of Aquavit. Um, So here is a clip of her on that very program. It's easier it's not always easy, but it's easier in U.S. to be a female in the kitchen um, or a woman. In in big parts of Europe, Sweden as well, it's it's still really really hard. I I'm I'm part of a community of uh, female chefs in in Sweden, and the stories or people writing in for help, asking other f- female chefs like, "What should I do?" It's it's uh, I, I I still can't find words sometimes for what guys do to women in the kitchen. It's it's de- degrading and it's uh, bullying and and that it still exists. Like f- from when I was in the kitchen back home ten fifteen years ago, I I could spend nights just crying over how badly treated I got. Oof. I want to say that Emma uh, definitely did not spend her nights crying. She spent her nights busting ass, um, making (laughs) her way up to the executive chef position at Aquavit. But I think what um, she's sharing here and what was echoed by some of the other um, women chefs on the panel is that, you know, this stuff still is happening. I I feel like there is an idea that, like, we are in this kind of uh, post-gender issue space. Um, but those power dynamics, which is really what sexual harassment is about, it's not about sex, it's about power, um, are still happening and, and have a real impact. And and nobody's really winning in that equation. And there's lots of other great examples from the episode. You guys should definitely tune in to hear more from Emma and to hear more from the other amazing ladies who we chatted with. Awesome work. Um, that is great. Definitely check out the full episode. Um, moving along to Sushi. No real segue. <laughs> nice there. transition. No segue whatsoever. <laughs> um, <laughs> but in lighter fare, uh, on Japan Eats, which uh, I believe we even profiled last week, loving that show, loving Akiko Katayama, the host of that program, she had on Robbie Cook, the executive sushi chef at Morimoto. 
Um, and they, they talked a little bit about how intimidating it is to sit at a sushi counter for some. Um, and I'm going to play this clip right here of Robbie on Japan Eats. It's a little intimidating to sit at a sushi counter, right? So yeah, it's sometimes. Yeah, but do you have any tips for how to order sushi for our listeners? Sure, sure. Um, first, you know, kind of feel out the, the sushi chef. You know, if they're busy, just mm-hmm. give them a little time. Um, don't make him angry. Yeah, don't make him angry. <laughs> uh, if you want to do, like, the omakase thing, you know, ask, just ask them. Just tell them what you don't really like or if you have any allergy. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to go. Um can ask him what's fresh. Um, also, if you're just sitting, you want to order, I always start with like a little bit of sashimi, mm. lighter fish, like white fish, mm. into like medium fish, and then finish with sushi, nigiri, mm. and maybe a cut roll at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also good not to order like a ton of sushi at one time. Mm. It slows down the whole sushi bar, and oh, okay. you, you want to eat it more fresh. You know, if you do want to, if you're hungry, Order maybe like five pieces at a time, you mm. know, or a couple pieces at a time. Mm-hmm. Right. But I usually, like, I think if you go to Japanese sushi restaurant in Japan, you order piece by piece. Piece by piece, sure. Right? And have a conversation. Yeah, it's a different style here in New York. Oh, man. I'll tell you, like, omakase just protects me. I'm like, go ahead, chef. <laughs> Lay it on me. Well, I love the idea of ordering um, a, a piece by piece. I feel like that is definitely not an American kind of dining style. Robbie is such an interesting guy. He actually published a book, The Complete Guide to Sushi and Sashimi, which really covers all the bases for someone who wants to make sushi at home, which is also super fun. Um, but I I actually really needed this like uh, advice segment because I, I, I'm going to like like real talk I get a little nervous sitting at the sushi counter. Yeah. Like I want to, I don't know, I want to do it right. And I feel like in general, I get kind of intim- intimidated by all things Japanese because it makes me feel like very big and clunky and American. So mm. just like knowing that I can kind of just slow my roll and um, having a little bit of an order of operation is, that's nice. Slow your salmon roll. Yes. That's. I was looking for another dad, dad joke. joke. Dad joke. Dad Thank joke. You, yeah. Dad. Dad reference number three. We are at three. We made it. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, like the Nakazawa thing is the best I've ever ever experienced, and there's the omakase. Like I, I would be lost if it wasn't omakase. I wouldn't know what to do. You know. So. Well, I think we just maybe need to practice a little more. Yeah. More definitely. sushi. More, more sushi. More and more and more. Well, the next topic is near and dear to my heart as well. Hot sauce. Um, which I I am a spice fiend. I, I I am one of one of these spice junkies. I don't know about you, Erin. I'm from the Midwest, so I came to the spice game a little late. We definitely did okay. not do any type of. There was no hot sauce. There was definitely no spicy food growing up. I I love it now. I love to eat spicy food, but it, I'm going to be honest. It's not the thing that totally occurs to me. Well. Let's 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 listen to a little bit more. Linda Palaccio on a taste of the past had on a man who calls himself the Pope of Peppers, which I think is hilarious. Dave DeWitt, who's a food historian, award winning author, and founder of the National Fiery Foods and Barbecue Show, which is now in its twenty fifth year. Wow. So the guy's written like thirty books on peppers, edited two magazines. He knows his spice to say the least. So let's listen to his comments on this kind of modern spice revolution. I mean, even here you can go into um, some of the um, 
ethnic grocery stores and just find, you know, shelves, complete shelves and like half an aisle devoted to hot sauces. It's it's pretty amazing. It is. What do you to what do you attribute this rise in popularity? Anything well, in particular? It's, um It's this uh, thing that happens to people who get accustomed to hot and spicy food, and I've never heard anybody in my entire life say, oh, I used to eat hot and spicy, but now I'm back to bland. (laughs) They just It doesn't go in that direction. It goes the opposite direction. People like it. They want to eat it. They they find the heat level that satisfies them. They want to stick with that heat level, and they like certain kinds of foods. This is not to say they dump hot sauce on on their uh, breakfast cereal in the morning or put it in their coffee, but they might like to have huevos rancheros in the morning, uh, spicy eggs, uh, for example. They might want to, to to mix a hot sauce into their scrambled eggs, too, because the eggs are bland. Yes, 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 yes. I definitely put hot sauce on my breakfast cereal. Yeah, come on. That's... No, I do. I do. Do you um, actually? I actually do. I'm, I am a savor. I'm like a big fan of the savory oatmeal. I do not like sugar, raisins, or maple syrup. Okay. I will do eggs and hot sauce. Most often I will actually do the um, tomato achar from Brooklyn Deli, um, which is like a lovely kind of Indian spicy tomato condiment. But I'm a big fan of the savory porridge in the morning and a little hot sauce. I like that. just the thing. Yeah, I, I am totally obsessed. And we actually even did a, a panel on spice at South by Southwest, which uh, the point got brought up that sort of the same thing that happens to you when you're going down that rabbit hole of spice is similar to what happens with opiates and drugs. Hmm. So it like gets pretty serious. Um, and I'll say, you know, w- w- what I'm really into right now is sort of the mala spice, this like Sichuan peppercorn that does more of a numbing thing to your mouth. Mouth. Huh. It's not like a real fiery heat. It's, you know, if you go to like Mission Chinese, they're using a lot of that Sichuan peppercorn. Um, that's that's kind of like my new thing with the spice. You just want to be stimulated. Yes. <laughs> uh, if, if you have any spice tips for us, definitely get in touch. Well, that's the, that's the week in the studio. And now we are going to move on to the breakdown. All right. Well, it is now time for the breakdown. I am thrilled to be joined on the line by Lucas Vogler, a longtime uh, regular guest of the Heritage Radio Network. Lucas has uh, quite a pedigree. He is the co-founder and editorial director of Jari Magazine, uh, a magazine about food and men and men and food. Uh, Awesome. Definitely check that out. He's an author, uh, written several books, and also founder of Made by Lucas. If you're looking for tips on delicious veggie treats, definitely check him out. Lucas, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Good morning. So tell us a little bit more about how this partnership with Start Out got started and why is it important to be talking about food entrepreneurship with the LGBTQ community? Sure. So um, we actually launched the magazine um, right around the time that I first event I first attended a start out event. So start out is, is they, they just are a really great community for networking within um, that entrepreneurship sphere, and they focus specifically, as you said, on GLBTQ um, entrepreneurs. And so I went to a different event that was around. Um, it was focused on design and um, and sort of arts-oriented organizations, and they had never done anything around food. 
So when we launched Jari Magazine last year, and then um, our first issue came out in September, and our next issue is coming out next month with a focus on makers, um, I thought it would be a good opportunity for our, our food magazine and their entrepreneurship project to join forces and see what we can do about um, exploring GLBTQ uh, entrepreneurship community. Um, and so we're going to have a panel with um, five different people. We've got Krista Freeman from Fen and Feeds, um, Gerardo Gonzalez from El Rey at the Lower East Side Coffee Shop, um, Casey Elsis from um, Bushwick Kitchen. He makes the Bees Knees Spicy Honey and a couple other products. Um, Britta Rosenheim, um, she's a, an industry consultant. And then there's Dana Lee, who works for Fresh Drake. So we've got um, people from um, all different areas of the of the you know food producer, food entrepreneur community. And so I'm hoping that that will will really just kind of get a, an initial taste of um, what that sphere looks like. And then as we go forward, hopefully making this an annual event, we'll um, look more narrowly at different pockets of the food industry. Yeah. So I was curious about that because it is a pretty diverse panel. And I'm wondering, how did you pick your panelists? Um, Are they folks who um, identify as LGBTQ? Are they folks who have a leadership role in in that space? Or are they just folks that you admire who do great food um, businesses? All of the above. Um, Some of the people I know personally um, and have gotten to know through Jari events and through my work in the food industry. But um, I wanted to, I, and I worked with Start Out um, in putting together the, the panel, so it's not just um, Jari. But um, I wanted to get a range. I don't know. I've, I've, I work, I have a food business called Made by Lucas, and it's a small food company, and I've gotten to know a lot of different small producers, and then I'm interested. I've been aware also, like especially in the grocery sector, there's a lot of different kinds of food businesses and a lot of different ways of um, trying to like access the industry rather than just as a food producer. So we have uh, we have a couple of food producers, um, Krista and Casey. And then on the other side, there's Fresh Direct, which obviously is like such a huge player yeah. in the grocery industry and like a major innovator in that, in that way. And then I wanted to talk to a chef. So it's like working as a food producer or working even in, meat, in food media or something. It's so different from working as a chef. And um, he's, uh, Gerardo is such a, I mean, he's, he's also such an innovator. He talked about when I was... Um, having a conversation before about going into a project and really like exceeding expectations because the expectations start so low. So he was like, I'm going to do a coffee shop and then like blow everybody's expectations by having this like completely critically acclaimed um, restaurant just um, really revitalize a little, you know, a, a new um what am I trying to say here? Um, take a coffee shop concept and get it yeah. to be um, completely critically. Totally acclaimed. different. So I'm, yeah. Yeah. So just talking about that kind of strategy and, and what inspires them. I'm, I'm really interested because I know how much work these businesses are and how hard it is to make money. I want to know like where um, they find their creative fulfillment. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of excited to talk about that. And then just, you know, one of the questions that I get and that I always want to ask people is like, what would you do differently if you're able, if you were able to start all over to learn so many things in the process of launching a food business? Yeah. Well, one of the things that kind of came to front of mind for me, I feel like when we think about, um, the way that, um, being a business owner or being a, a customer kind of has played out in the media when you're thinking about, um, LGBTQ issues. I, one of the most recent stories that was really gaining a lot of traction 
um, across the internet was this idea around like refusing to sell wedding cakes to um, um, to you know lesbian couples to gay couples, and that happened really all over the country, Colorado, Oregon, and I, it sparked a conversation for me with with my brother who really felt like you know, hey, it's a business's right to decide who they want to give service to. And I found myself, one, like super bummed by that being his point of view, um, but two, not really being able to articulate um, as clearly as I wanted to, like why that was so crazy. And I'm wondering, you know, Will, if you guys will be talking a little bit about some of the kind of discrimination discrimination issues that come up and are particular to to running a business for this community and how folks kind of deal with that, and I'm also hoping maybe you can give me some advice as to what to say to my brother. Oh, not to put you like too much on the spot, but I'm like I'm like ooh, I, I like I, I was I just felt like I was I just felt like I didn't do a great job, you know, in that conversation. Yeah, I feel like I live in a little, you know, here in New York, you live in a bubble where you, fortunately, I don't encounter that kind of thing personally, but it's almost like speaking a different language because it just comes down to the values of people. It just comes down to values. It's hard to reason um, in that way, and I feel like that's where it just needs to be regulated so that it's not legal to discriminate in that in that way. Um, yes, I definitely want to talk about that. Um and we will address that in the panel. And also, I, I think one of the interesting things in, in talking to Krista from Finn and Feeds is her experience, um, not only as like a, a, a female entrepreneur and a female business owner, and she, she um, works with a lot of other female investors, but raising capital as, mm-hmm. as a lesbian entrepreneur or as a GLBTQ entrepreneur, which is, you know, unless you are rich to begin with, is um, a pretty important part of the process. Um, I'm really excited to talk to everybody about that experience and how uh, how being GLBTQ has um, has shaped it and even the hurdles or maybe if um, one of the solutions is more support from organizations like Startout so that you know they provide a lot of networking opportunity and are very proactive about fostering those kinds of relationships so that GLBTQ investors are able to compete you know with uh, not investors GLBTQ entrepreneurs are able to compete. With um, you know, so it's a level playing field on on the money money raising side. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I feel like there is something super important about um, having like a, a safe space to kind of ask questions, to get advice. And I feel like one of for me, one of the things that comes out of those um, conversations most often is just this really great. Um, recognition that like, hey, I'm not alone. Like other people are kind of struggling or dealing with some of the same issues and getting some like examples on how to, um, you know, take action or to, to create space. So I think it's it's super exciting. We're definitely looking forward to being there. We will be on site recording the conversation for future broadcasts. I would also recommend folks um, uh, checking out the Food Book Fair uh, book party recording that's on the radio network that talks a lot about um, more issues um, in food, uh, you know, around this kind of same subject. But Lucas, if folks want to get tickets for the event, uh, where should we direct them? You can go to startout.org, and it's um, backslash food hyphen entrepreneurs. That's where you can buy tickets. We also have it all over our social media. So Jari is at JariMag, J-A-R-R-Y-M-A-G, or JariMag.com. We've got all the information and the links um, on our website. 
And I'm assuming we can sign up to subscribe to Jari there. Absolutely. Any sneak peeks you can give us? Any makers we can look forward to checking out in the next issue? We're going to be announcing stuff in the next couple of days. So Ooh, just stay uh, tuned. keep your ears uh, yeah, open. <laughs> awesome. Lucas, well, thanks for giving us a, a little peek into what we can be looking forward to from the Food Entrepreneurs Panel. Definitely excited to learn more about Startup and the amazing uh, group of presenters you guys have put together. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Aaron. All right, guys. That Sweet. is... The yeah. breakdown. The breakdown. Awesome interview. Really, really love that. Um, and with that, let's move in to the final section of the show, Big Ups. And of course, a big ups to the band Big Ups, who provides the theme song. Rolling Stone just called them one of the top bands to check out this year. Their what? second record is doing even better than the first. That's Those guys awesome. just keep blowing up more and more and more and more. So proud of them all. And, um, yeah, so this week's Big Ups, I guess I'll kick it off. Um, our very own Darren Bresnitz, one half of Snacky Tunes, is getting married this weekend Aww. in L.A. Um, to his lovely, lovely fiance Anna Yeager. I always want to call her Anna Broccoli. I know. Yeah, Brock. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, for short, Brock. Sure, for short, Brock. <laughs> Just a really, really rad woman, and uh, they're, they're really great as a couple, and very, very excited for them. It's going to be one hell of a food wedding, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I'm jealous. Wish I was there, but it's going to be a blast, and congrats to Darren. Awesome. Um, uh, my big up this week, uh, I want to send a shout out to G1 Park. G has been working with us here at the Heritage Radio Network team in some of our public relations oriented uh, work. And it's really the first time we've had someone with um, that skill set working so closely with the organization. And I have to say, I feel like I am learning so much so quickly and it's been and such a joy and I, I think that's like one of the real privileges of working for an organization like this is we get to kind of hang with such amazing people who are so generous with their time and their skill sets and G is definitely at the top of our list um, so thank you big ups to you G I hope to be hanging lots more uh, and for a long time yeah yeah um, awesome well Aaron I think that does it for us this week I have week a, review. I have like one more thing Uh-oh. I want, I want, I'm going to stay, I want to ask that, that listener stay tuned for next week. Cause I feel like I was saying LGBTQ and I feel like Lucas was saying something different. And so I'm going to come back to you next week with an update on what the correct verbiage should be for that. Cause, um, you know what, we're here to learn. And, uh, I, I just like, I, I noticed that I wanted to point it out cause, um, yeah, that's it. We're here to learn. I don't know. You know it. <laughs> All right, and if you enjoyed this show, definitely subscribe in iTunes. Leave us a rating. Uh, We are looking to spread the word far and wide about this program that we do every week. So we're on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio, Instagram at the same, Heritage Radio Network on Facebook. It is not hard to find us. Find us, say hi, say something. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. 
To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Go ahead. Okay. So I should start from just the top of the breakdown.